Oh, it's so good to be here. You guys doing good? You happy? It's good to be joyful. It's good to smile. Sometimes I just force myself to smile. Feels good. We, um, we had a conference actually uh, at, at the center during the past few days. And um, God really moved powerfully throughout the conference. I'm not sure if, if um, any of you had a chance to attend. But those of you who don't know me, I, um, I travel with a, an evangelist named Randy Clark for about four years. Um, I studied under his ministry school for two years. And then I traveled with him for four years. And during that time, he was mentoring me. And um, I know everyone has different streams of, of ministry. And, and, and there's different people who might be famous. And you might not know them. And then there's people who you know that are famous. And I don't know who they are because the church body is so big. But, um, so, but Randy started uh, mentoring me and discipling me. And he just said, you know, Paul, I want you to start preaching at least one message every conference that I do. And I, was, I said, oh, wow, that's, thank you, you know. And then I, I ran to my prayer closet and I just started praying, oh, God, help me. <laughs> because Randy shares the stage uh, at these conferences with some of the, the most amazing speakers that I've ever heard, you know, uh, Reinhard Bonnke, uh, Bill Johnson, Bishop Garlington, Dr. Mark Sharona, um, uh, uh, George Banoff, John Arnott, Many of these people have been in revivals or have, or have started revivals, and, and sometimes I'm just so blown away by them. Uh, have, how many of you have ever heard of Bill Johnson before? It's okay if you haven't. Okay. All right. Uh, he has some, some amazing writings and teachings I'd encourage you to, to, to dwell into. But God spoke so clearly when I said, God, oh, help me, because God said, Paul, I want you to speak the message on your life. And I knew exactly what he was talking about because there was a journey that I had to go through in my life and God made my mess into a message. And um, I know that, you know, whatever, I just want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, God's going to make your mess into a message. It, it might not be necessarily on stage, but whatever your testimony ends up being, it ends up being a powerful message for the people who are around you in your workplace, in your environment. And the message of my life is actually something that's really powerful, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think it used to be. It's on peace, the power of his peace. You know, you can go for all these types of things, anointing, uh, spiritual gifts, and that's great, but, but it, if you don't have God's peace, it will be really hard to move in those other things. I want to explain to you today, I'm going to go really quickly through scripture, and then I'm also going to go through examples of my life and examples in, in the scripture on God's peace and how powerful it is. See, growing up, I grew up in an Italian-American church, and I grew up in an Italian-American family, and my, my family were really loud. We're, I'm actually the, I'm the youngest and the quietest of my whole family, but everyone else is really loud, and, and we project really really uh, with, with a lot of volume because we want to be heard. And so um, when you have dinner at my parents' house, um, my whole family gets together and, and we all start talking to each other and we start talking louder and we start talking over one another. And by, by the, the end of the meal, everyone's yelling at each other and we love each other. We're, we're not angry. That's just, that's just how we are. 
I got married two years ago to a wonderful woman named Ruth who uh, is from Australia, and, and they're much more proper at the dinner table. And so when they come over to my, when she comes over to my parents' house, you know, at the end we're all screaming at each other and she's just kind of shaking in the corner, you know, she's just so... Growing up in my family, my household, I would hear, you know, even in church, you know, peace to you, you know, may peace be with you and, and all those things, but I never really thought peace was attainable. I thought it was just something that people allegorized or talked about but never really experienced because in my household, there wasn't much peace. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of conflict, a lot of anxiety. My mom, she was a great worrier. Now she's a good intercessor, but back then she was a worrier. And, and my understanding of peace was the absence of conflict. And I used to think, when is that ever really happening, not ever having conflict? You know, even, even when there was nothing going on in my life, even when there was, there was no conflict happening, I was still worried about when I'd have conflict. I would go, my car's working this month, I wonder if it's going to work next month, you know, I wonder when it's going to break down again. I, my, I, I was able to pay my bills this week, or, but I wonder if I'm going to be able to pay my bills next week. Uh, I'm in relationship right now with my, my spouse, my friend, my, my daughter, my whatever, but I wonder when that's, how long that's going to last. Even when I'm at peace, even when nothing's going on in my life that's wrong, I'm still worried about when I'm going to lose my peace. So for, to me, I used to think that peace was weak. I mean, even if there's two countries who decide not to fight, who have a peace treaty, we all know how fragile that is because it only takes one bullet to break that treaty. So the world's understanding of peace is weak. It's not strong. It's not powerful. But I want you to understand that God's peace is powerful. It's not the absence of conflict. It's his kingdom overcoming the conflict. See, the enemy, the, the enemy is a great strategist. He's actually cunning. He knows that he doesn't need to steal everyone's anointing, and he knows that he doesn't need to steal everyone's gifting. He, doesn't, he knows he doesn't need to burn down every church in Nigeria. He just needs to make sure that the majority of the people inside don't have, his, don't have the peace of God. Because when you don't have the peace of God, you become ineffective for the kingdom of God. I'm going to show you through Scripture how the peace of God is central to the gospel. It's not peripheral. There's three to four hundred verses in Scripture that speak about the peace of God and God's peace. I'm going to go very quickly, and I'm going to try to point out, you know, uh, five to seven of them today because of time. And I encourage you, if you can, write them down. I'm going to go very quickly. But God wants you to have his peace. If you're a Christian today and you've decided that you're just striving or surviving, you're not striving, but you're surviving and you're not having his peace, God wants you to have it. Let's look at Philippians 4, 7. It says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. According to this, I, I've read this verse so many times. I've seen it in Christian bookstores. I've seen it on plaques. I've seen it in people's homes. I've read it many, many times. But until I had to walk through this journey myself, when I meditated on this verse, I, said, I realized, oh my goodness. According to this verse, what's protected when you have the peace of God? 
your heart and your mind. What's exposed when you don't have the peace of God? Your heart and your mind. When you don't have the peace of God in your life, your heart, your mind are totally vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy and to the pressures of the world. You're living with just a big bullseye on your target, waiting for something to happen, for a conflict to happen, and you lose it. That's how important the peace of God is. Let's talk about the fruit of God. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness. The fruit of our relationship with the Spirit, these things come out of us. And, and what's the thing about fruit? What happens when fruit's not picked from a tree? It rots. It gets too big for its own good. It falls off. It rots. See, the fruit of your life, I used to think was just for me. But God showed me it's for others as well. It's transferable. It's to be given away. I want to talk to you about how you'll be able to have the peace of God in your life and that you could walk into a place of despair, a place of hopelessness. You could walk into that hospital room and somebody who doesn't have peace, you could pray for them and the peace of God that's on your life can transfer to their life or the joy. You know, I, I love the example. When, when, if you take a, an orange, if I took an orange and I squeezed it into a glass and apple juice came out, wouldn't you find that weird? Wouldn't you find it odd? Wouldn't you say, something's wrong? This is odd. Well, how come, as Christians, when we get the pressures of the world or attacks of the enemy that come upon us, fear comes out of us, worry, doubt, and we don't think that's odd. See, what's inside of you comes out of you. And if you have the peace of God in your life, when the pressures of the world come or the attacks of the enemy, the more peace they should get the more joy, the more goodness, the more faithfulness, kindness. So do you have the peace of God today? We'll take a look. This talks about Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. This is my favorite verse, underline it, Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not the God of power, although he's all powerful. And not the God of love, although he is love. He embodies love. Who crushes Satan under your feet? The God of peace. Why? Because peace is powerful. His peace is powerful. Romans 14, 17, it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. According to this verse, according to Paul in Romans, peace is a third of the kingdom of heaven. If you don't have the peace of God in your life right now, you are missing out on a third of the kingdom of heaven. That's how important it is. Do you see a theme here? You have the God of peace who sends the Prince of Peace, who's given us the gospel of peace, equips our feet with the shoes of peace. This is central to the gospel. There's a story in Mark where 
other preachers and pastors will talk about the peace of God. I just want to come to you at a different angle with it. It's in Mark 4.35 through verse 40 where Jesus gets in, tells his disciples, we're going to get in the boat and we're going to go to the other side. And so they get in the boat and other little boats were also with them. And a storm comes and it says that waves were beating into the boat so that it was already filling. It says that Jesus was asleep in the stern on a pillow. And they go over to him and they say, teacher, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And it says that Jesus arose and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And there was a great calm. And he looked at the disciples and he said, How, why are you so fearful? How is it that you aren't afraid? I don't know about you, but whenever I read my scriptures, I always slow down my reading. I always go, what is Jesus trying to say here? Pastor said it earlier. Jesus, Jesus showed us how to live this life. Jesus was always discipling. So whenever I see an interaction between Jesus and the disciples, I always try to say, what is the message here? What is he trying to say? What is his point to these men? And... and and I don't know about you, but I always go, man, Jesus was always hard on these guys. I mean, he was, you know, he would rebuke them for being fearful because a storm was coming. I mean, these are fishermen, many of them. I, I travel, me personally, I travel about 150,000 to 200,000 miles every year on an airplane. I go from place to place to place, preaching the gospel, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's the call of my life. It only takes 25,000 miles to go around the world once. And, and I've become, I think I'm a professional flyer. You know, I know how to take my shoes off in the airport real quick and put them back on. I know how to do that. Flying is not very fun anymore because you just, you have to arrive at the airport early. You guys know this. You got to, you know, you got to go through all day of flying just to get somewhere. But I would say I'm a prophet. I know that flying is the safest mode of transportation today. Out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of flights that fly every day, you may have heard one flight or so going down every few years. Now, I know in the past couple of years we had some tragedies, but that's not the norm. And even with those tragedies, it is still the safest mode of transportation in our day. I know that turbulence, when the plane shakes, is just a difference in air pressure that Planes don't usually go down for turbulence, and they can take a ton. And often with takeoff and landing, people will get some turbulence. And I always know when someone next to me is not used to being in a plane, because maybe during a takeoff or in the middle of the flight, the plane starts to shake, and they, they grab the armrest really tight. You know, their knuckles turn white, you know. If they're Catholic, they cross themselves, you know. And I go, <laughs> isn't that cute? <laughs> they think, they're, they think it's, it's a scary moment. That's cute. Oh, they must be an amateur flyer. <laughs> but if I see a flight attendant or a stewardess get nervous, if I see them say, everyone, everyone, sit down, sit down, buckle your seatbelts, buckle your seatbelts, get, get you, get out of the bathroom, get out of the bathroom, well, then I get scared. You know, I start speaking in my prayer language. I'm commanding angels under the wings. I'm getting ready for my last salvation message. I'm, I'm, I, I know that this is it. Why? Because they know what it's like to see a dangerous situation that could potentially kill them. 
Look, back then, there was three modes of transportation. You could walk or run, donkey or horse, or, or go on a boat. It might not be as popular today, and especially in some other places, but, but going on a boat was very normal as a mode of transportation. And many of these disciples were fishermen. They were experts at being on boats. They know what it's like to see a storm that has the potential to, to destroy boats, that, that usually boats don't survive. And see, there was a point at some point in this story where the disciples looked at that storm and they exchanged the peace of God that was on them for the fear that was in front of them. And the thing about fear is that once it enters in, it spreads like wildfire. I mean, our media is built on this, right? That's how, that's how they get people to watch them because if you can build fear, if you can show fearful things that are happening throughout the world, you, you, you're just drawn to it because it spreads. I mean, even me, if I see something, I say, oh my goodness, did you hear what's just, you didn't hear what just happened? There was an earthquake. Oh, you didn't hear what happened? There's this collapsed. No, you didn't hear what happened? You know, I just, you want to tell each other. And I could just see the disciples. This is called Jesus. I'm reading into the text here, but I could just see the disciples going, who's not afraid? Who's not afraid? Jesus, you're not afraid. Jesus, wake up. Aren't you afraid? Can't you be afraid? If you were afraid, we'd all feel better, you know? But Jesus, given the same opportunity as the disciples, walked over to the storm and instead of accepting the fear that was in front of him, he released the peace that was inside of him. And it overcame the storm. Now many pastors or preachers might say this. They might say, they might look at this verse and say, the peace of God gets you through the storm. And there's biblical basis for that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's moments in your life where you're going to go through a tragic storm, and the peace of God will sustain you as you go through that storm. That's biblical. But I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to preach here or teach here. Why? Because if that's what Jesus wanted to display to his disciples because he's discipling, when they woke him, he would have said, Oh, we have a horrible storm. Okay, this is what we need to do. We need to, let's, let's sit down together. Let's sing psalms. Let's meditate on the Torah until we get through this. Right? But that's not what he did. Instead, he showed them how the peace of God on their life overcomes the storm. And this is what I believe. This is my opinion. But I believe this. I believe that Jesus already declared the destiny over their life when he told them, we're getting to the other side. This is what I believe. I believe that if the enemy or life's pressures challenge the destiny declared over your life, you have every right to walk over to that storm and watch it bow to the presence of the peace of God on your life. And don't let your fear, that fear, come, in, come in, into your heart. I, uh, this is a tangible thing. The peace of God is not allegorical. It's tangible. It's, it's, it's something that can, that can actually work. I, I, I had a, a, an opportunity to minister in a very poor area in Baltimore. I was actually helping with uh, uh, feeding uh, people who were hungry uh, in this urban area of the center city in America, in the Central Park in, in, in Baltimore. And we fed people, we, get, we handed out clothing because it gets really cold towards the winter. Um, and then we, we took out like lawn chairs. We set a bunch out. And in the center of what we were doing, we also prayed for people who needed healing and deliverance or freedom from addiction. 
And I, I, had, I, had, I had helped hand out clothing. I had helped do um, uh, giving out hot meals. And then I just so happened to be praying for people. And it just so happened that my chair was empty when Kevin was passing me by. And Kevin looked over. He, he didn't need any of that stuff. He wasn't poor. He didn't, he didn't need clothing. He had a nice leather jacket on. He had a nice Bluetooth headset. He had a nice golf cap. He actually looked really sharp. He said, what are you guys doing here? I said, oh, Kevin, we're, um, we're, we're handing out clothing. We're feeding people. I said, but right here we're praying for people who need healing or freedom from addiction and deliverance. He said, wow. So would you pray for me? I said, sure. I said, what's wrong? He said, I had a stroke three years ago. And his, he had a clawed hand like this. Couldn't open his hand from the nerve damage. He had something called drop foot. He couldn't pick up his foot. See, Kevin, I said he passed by me. He didn't walk by me. He, he had to use a cane and drag his foot behind himself like this. I said, sure, Kevin, I'll pray for you. And uh, I said, okay, Kevin, now um, close your eyes. See, Kevin, he wasn't church broke yet. He didn't know Jesus quite yet. I had to teach him what to do. I said, close your eyes, you know, hold, you know, assume the position. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. And I prayed for him. I said, I command the nerves to grow in the name of Jesus. I welcome the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the ability to heal. You see, God loves to heal the unsaved. You know why? Because he's a great evangelist. And I'll tell you what just happened. I'd never prayed for anyone before or since this way, but I did something very odd in that prayer. It was a 20-second prayer. I said, I just command all the chaos to leave, and I speak the peace of God over your body. I said, Kevin, check it out. He went like this. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What would you do to me? What would you do to me? Who are you? Do you have a card? I said, no, Kevin, I don't have a card. I said, I said that was Jesus. I said, he healed you. I said, but... But when I saw this, I said, surely God healed his foot. I said, Kevin, check out your foot. He said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Then he started going up to strangers who didn't even know he had a problem and started going, look at my hand. Look at this. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, sir. All right. For 40 minutes, Kevin would sit down and stand up at the park bench as I prayed for other people. I said, Kevin, what are you doing? He said, I'm just making sure I could do this. I could never do this. I'm just. I led Kevin to Jesus that day. Right there, I said, do you want to know, do you want to accept the person, Jesus, who did this to you, who, who healed you? He said, yeah. He said, well, what must I do to be saved, type thing. And we let him, right to, and he, to this day, that was three years ago, to this day, he's still healed and still saved. Yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. <laughs> Kevin had a tangible storm that day. He had a real storm. There was nothing medically doctors could do for him, and I love doctors, I love the medical community. But they don't have every answer. Jesus came upon his life, the peace of God, and he got full healing. His storm calmed. There was a woman named Daniela from Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro. She's a famous painter in Brazil. Randy Clark has one of her paintings. She's Christian, and she has this painting on an oil canvas. It's this cloud at the top. It's the hand of God sticking out of the cloud, holding a pitcher of wine. And out of the pitcher, there's a man standing, drinking from the wine of heaven. As painted by Daniela. When we were in Rio in March, she, uh, we, we had found out that she had cancer at stage four all over in her bones. Her family 
had just found out from the doctors that they, the last treatment did not work, the cancer didn't respond, and they said she has a few weeks to live. They heard we were coming to Rio, and so they didn't tell Daniela what the doctors told them until she got prayer. So they came to one of our meetings. They said, you know, Daniela's got cancer. Is there a way you could come and pray for her? Randy and I said, sure, we'll come. And we got into a car, went to, went to her house, and there she was. She was in a hospital bed, in a hospital gown, but in her parents' house, in a bedroom. She's just skin and bones. Randy sat on one side of the bed. I sat on the other side. And we started praying. I wanted Daniela healed. I was... I, you know, have you ever, when you're praying, you wanted something so bad, you thought if you furrowed your brow, you know, it works better, you know? If you, if you, if you say a longer prayer, a more eloquent prayer, it's more powerful. When we, when, we pray, when we teach people how to pray for the sick, we say short prayers, and we say keep your eyes open because you want to see what God's doing so that you can bless it. It's, it's like this, if, if you're evangelizing to somebody and you're telling them about Jesus and you see them filling, their eyes filling up with tears, that's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see what God's doing, so you, you don't stop, you press in, right? You keep going. In the same manner, while you're praying for somebody, you want to keep your eyes open because if you see, you know, the heat of God on them, if you see their hand trembling, if you see, these are often signs of healing. And so I... I, I usually keep my eyes open, but I wanted Daniela so healed, I, I furrowed my brow, I said, God, we, we need you, just come. And I look over, I, I never felt this before, but I felt a wind come across my face. And I look over and I see Daniela, she's sitting up in the hospital bed, and she's just lost in herself, and she's crying and laughing. And we said, Daniela, what's happening? Tell us what's happening. She says, I don't know, I just feel waves of peace and waves of electricity flowing through my body. So, wow. I later, I didn't tell her this, we said, go to the doctor and get it checked out. Tell us what he says. Just like Jesus told the leper, go show yourself to the priest, show yourself clean. It's okay to go to the doctor. It doesn't mean you have a lack of faith to see if and when God healed you. That's not a lack of faith, it's just Jesus did the same thing. But anyway, so... I didn't tell her that, but I said, Randy, I told him my experience. I said, I think she just got healed. We have two employees who live in Brazil. I, I begged them to go and see Daniela, to, to contact her. Six months later, they show up at her door, and they find out that she got, after the prayer, after all medication had stopped, and doctors had given up, we prayed. After that prayer, she was cancer-free in her body, and she's back to work. Isn't that amazing? The peace of God is tangible. The peace of God is powerful. Mark, I love chapters and verses in the Bible. Chapters and verses help us find things, right? They, they, I, I could tell you a chapter and verse. You know where to go in your Bible to see that chapter and verse. That's what they're for. I love them. If I said John 3.16, everyone should know, I hope, that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Right? But do you know that we added them into the Bible? You know, when they were originally written, they were letters that were written to churches, most of them in the New Testament. And, I, and so we add them to break them up into different sections. Now, I personally think that Mark 4, verses 35 through 40, which is Jesus in the boat calming the storm, I don't think that chapter really ends. I think 4 should keep going. 
Why? Because in Mark 5, 1 through 15, do you know what happens? The boat touches the other side. I think the story's still going. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter if that is Mark 5, 1 through 15, but my point is, Jesus isn't done discipling in that moment. Why? Because a, a demonic man comes to meet them. I encourage you to read this yourself, too. Please read your Bibles. A demonic man comes to, to, to meet them. He's full of demons. The people are scared of him. They, they don't want him there. They, 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 it says that he runs around naked, screaming, cutting himself. They hate him so much, they chain him up. They throw him in a cave. Now, you've got to hate someone a lot to do that to them. But it says the demons inside this man are too strong anyway that the chains, he breaks them anyway, and he terrorizes them, and, and they live in fear anyway because of this man. And then Jesus shows up with the disciples when the boat touches the other side. The, the man comes to greet them, and the demons are talking to Jesus, and Jesus casts the demons out of the man into the pigs. Do you guys know this story? Good. And this is, what, this is how evil, you know, the townspeople are. Because it says that they come and they see this man. They want to come see what's happening. They come and they see this man who terrorized them, who they lived in fear of. They see him sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And the next few words just boggle my mind. It says this, and they were terrified. You see, when you have the peace of God, the enemy is terrified. Because you can advance the kingdom of God. Jesus even told his disciples how to take cities. He said, go two by two and find a house of peace, man of peace. May your peace rest on that house. And if not, may it come back to you. Paul talks about in Ephesians, he talks about the armor of God. And he talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the, the belt of truth, and the shoes of peace. When I was a, a, a child growing up in children's church, I remember them taking like a teenager, you know, and, and, and putting different pieces of armor on them. It was like spray painted gold and silver. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you guys have something similar? And, and they'd have like a cool illustration for everyone. It's like the helmet of salvation when you receive Christ in your life. The sword of the spirit, which represents the Holy Spirit. The shield of faith, which is our faith in Christ. The belt of truth, you know, they, the breastplate of righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness. I mean, they, it was awesome illustrations. And, but it always seemed like they would go, and the shoes of peace, you know. They, they didn't know how to articulate properly what that actually represented to the Christian. And I always used to think that Paul must have just ran out of body parts. Then he just put the peace on the feet. But the peace is on the feet because that's what advances the kingdom. That's how you walk it out. You see, it doesn't matter how big your sword is or your shield is. You're not going anywhere if your feet are tied. You understand? I believe this. I believe that peace is the conduit that the power of God flows through. I tell people, I'm, I'm, an, I just, I'm an extension cord from heaven to earth. I don't, I don't heal you. It is Christ who heals you. I'm just allowing it. God to flow through me. But sometimes on my end, I have a burnt fuse. I don't have his peace. God doesn't change. You know God doesn't change? Do you guys know that? Sometimes we need to get our fuses replaced. We've lost his peace. We need his peace. 
I've lived out this journey myself. I told you I had a married uh, Ruth two years ago. We have, a, we have a daughter who's five months old. She's amazing. Her name is Shiloh, which means place of peace. She's great. But I have twins. I have a boy and a girl who are 11 years old. I got married at 19 years old before. I was not, I was nominal Christian. I was a Christian more in name than in action. Both of us were. And I had children at a very young age. And I remember, I was never, you know, I, I never, I wasn't physically abusive or verbally abusive to, to, to their mother. I was not a perfect person by any means, but I loved my children and her. And I remember um, getting text message bill. You know, you know, back then, the text messages, you only got like 200 a month. Did you guys ever have that? Where it was like text, if you went over your text messages, you got billed more. And I remember like a thousand text messages one month came on my bill. I said, what is, what, who's this number? What? You know, you got to be careful. And, she, and I remember her going, oh, that's a, a friend who came back and, from school and I'd just been talking to her. Oh, okay, you know, and, and uh, I, I worked for a, a large communications company. I was in upper management there and I was doing very well. And I remember coming home early one day and finding uh, a man's pillow that wasn't my pillow that he would bring to my house while I was away. And I remember, and I don't know if they left it there on purpose or they forgot it, but I remember um, their mother sitting me down going, telling me, don't you understand? I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you. My twins were about nine months old. And that crushed me. She had moved away with them, and I had ended up going from seeing them every day to hardly seeing them at all. And they wanted to know why. You know, they, were, they, they wanted to see me, and I wanted to see them, but they couldn't understand. And um, I remember how much that hurt, and I thought, we were nominal Christians. We would just attend church, but, we, but I thought, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. And I, and I just ran away, and I ran as far as I could into the world, and I would drink alcohol. I didn't become an alcoholic, but I drank like an alcoholic because I just wanted to numb the pain that I was feeling inside. It was horrible. I was drinking. Uh, I remember uh, being alone. I had to... I moved into an apartment and I was in a basement and I was drinking wine straight from the bottle because I was just, just wanted everything to end. I know what it's like to just not want to go on anymore. And I remember feeling a presence in my life and just really hitting rock bottom and just saying, God, I still worked, I still had a career, but whenever I could, I would drink. And I, and I just said, God, I can't do this anymore, help me. And I remember feeling a presence. I wasn't familiar with it. I went up to, to my room. I went to bed and I thought, I, if I, I know you'll never use me, God, but if I could just be a good person, then I'll just try to be a good person because this isn't working. That's what I said to myself. I moved back in with my adult parents. You know, as an adult, I moved back in with my parents, which is the toughest thing you can do. Your mom all of a sudden wants to do all your laundry and, you know, you're like, Wants to know where you are all the time. Like, come on, mom. And Italian mothers. I don't know if you ever met an Italian mother, but they're pretty aggressive. Maybe Nigerian moms are the same way. Okay. Sounds like it. In America, we have, um, we have a great holiday called Thanksgiving. And, um, and it, I love Christmas. I love the meaning of Christmas. But in America, Christmas becomes so stressful because it ends up being about the gifts 
and not about Christ and the birth of Christ. But, um, and so it's like, oh, do we get a gift for so-and-so? Do we get a gift for our second cousin's mother, brother, boy? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, dude. And so uh, it's just so stressful. But Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving because all it is is everyone comes together and your whole family, some extended family, you eat as much food as you can. You go to the family room, you, you watch American football and pass out. You wake up and then you eat dessert. That's it. That's Thanksgiving. Nobody expects anything. It's just a family time. It's always a, a third or fourth Thursday of, of the month. And uh, it's great. And I remember uh, Monday was the Monday before Thanksgiving where we were supposed to have a court trial so that I could see my children more. And because of the lies that were exchanged, I remember our lawyers were, you know, my lawyer thought, oh, this is no problem. You're going to get, you're going to get it. You're going to get at least 50% shared custody and I remember because of the lies that were and the accusations that, that they and the state had to verify that they weren't true I was not able to get the custody I lost the case and then Thursday was Thanksgiving my brothers their spouses I'd all come over I was living with my parents they, we ate a, a, a light dinner they had to go to their fa their spouses families afterwards so they all left my parents they went up to the room because they're older and they, they just went to sleep early. And there I am on my favorite holiday that's, surrounded by, that's supposed to be surrounded by, by family without a family of my own. And I remember believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life. All of a sudden this lie came in my Nothing will ever change in your life. And I remember agreeing with that lie and going to a bar. In America, during Thanksgiving, every, every, every store is closed. We have Walmart now, so Walmart's open, but before Walmart, every store is closed, except bars. Bars are always open, even Christmas Day, bars are open, it boggles my mind. And so I remember going to the bar, giving up on my life, and saying, I just ordered a shot and a beer. I took that, I ordered another beer, I looked behind me, I saw a cigarette vending machine, I got a pack of cigarettes, I was going full, full scale that night. I, I go outside, the bar had just like, it was a storefront bar with just dark windows in the front. I go outside, I lean against the windows, I'm smoking my cigarette, believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life, wallowing in my sorrows. There was nobody in the bar. There was an older African-American man, there was an older Caucasian man, and they were just at the end of the bar. The older African-American man comes out, he's on his cell phone, he's pacing back and forth. And I don't pay him any attention. I'm from Philadelphia originally, which is a large city in, 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 in America. And in the city, you don't really talk to people you don't know. You know, you just kind of, you're in your zone. You go this way, you go that way. You know, you get your stuff done. People don't interrupt you. But in the South and in the villages and the country area of America, people are much more open. And they have a funny accent. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. But they're like, hi, my name's Joe. What's your name? I'm going to buy bread today. What are you doing? They want to tell you everything. You're like, whoa, stop it. Time out. You know, why do you want to know where I'm going, huh? You know, <laughs> Um, now I'm getting better at relating to people from the country. But, but I, I wasn't paying him any attention. And he gets off his phone. He starts to go into the bar. And he stops and he looks at me. And he says, are you going to make it? I said, what? He said, you heard me. Are you going to make it? I said, yeah. He said, how do you know? And I don't know why, but it was all of a sudden I time warped back to children's church where the only three good answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer. You know what I'm talking about? 
If you say those answers, you're right. One of them, one of them's right. And in that moment, I go, because Jesus, he said, Jesus, why'd you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. I wasn't, wasn't living like one. He didn't argue with me. He said this. He said, what's your name? I said, my, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, Paul in the Bible did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're going to do great things for God. And he walked in the bar. And I threw my cigarette down. I ran into my car. Because as the psalmist said, even though I made my bed in hell, you are after me. You are with me. And I realized that God wanted me to experience his peace. Since that, since that moment, God has transformed my life, redeemed my life, has given me his peace, restored my relationship with my twins. Amen. God wants you to have his peace too. I'm almost done here, and then, um, and then we'll, have, we'll have time of ministry, okay? But I just want to, we're doing good on time, right? Jesus talks about this. I just want to bring this up because I think he's really important. Amen? Okay. John 14, 26, 27, Jesus says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring your remembrance to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then verse 27, Jesus says this. Peace I leave with you. Listen to this. He's, he's told the disciples to disciple nations. Almost all of them are going to lose their life. And he's going to leave them. He's sending the Holy Spirit. But he says these crucial words. He says this. I used to, used to read over these words. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to them until I had to go through this journey myself. But he said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So what? Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is talking about a transferable peace, a peace that doesn't come from the world, that goes onto your life so that you don't have to be troubled or afraid. It's that powerful. It's that important. It's that central to the gospel. It accompanies the Holy Spirit. And then John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again. Now he's ready to ascend. He says to them again, peace to you, exclamation point. I'm not going to yell it, but you understand that means he yelled it, right? Okay, peace to you. As the Father sends me, I send you. And then he said this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I used to picture this story where Jesus, maybe he'd be standing on a structure like a rock this high off the ground. And his disciples are here. And he went, he went like this. Peace to you, receive the Holy Spirit. I used to think that's how it happened. I, I don't know why. Just that was I visualize a lot of stuff. Do you guys visualize things as you hear a story? That's, that's what I do. And so I, I used to think that's what he, he would say. But, but then as I studied the scriptures and I'm getting my master's degree, they always say, you know, you always want to take the historical context of what's going on, what's happening in the story to the person, what are they going through. And, um, and I, I realized that everything Jesus did with the disciples was personal and up close. Even, even at the communion table, at the Last Supper, he goes and he 
gets up close to them and he washes their feet, which is like the lowest position of the household. And, and he didn't do it because he thought their feet were dirty. He was proving a point. He was sending a message, right? He was discipling, right? He was, he was doing something so that they would know, so that we would eventually know. So when I look at the story of Jesus telling the disciples before he ascends to receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them, and he must have done it up close. He must have gone up to them and said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathe right into them. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, what did that mean to the disciples? How was this significant? Washing the feet, significant. They understood that. And I understand it. What did breathing on them mean? I mean, he's risen from the dead. He's obviously God. Before, there were, there were some doubters, right? Doubting Thomas, Peter. He lost it a little bit when he died. But man, now he's risen. He spent many days with the disciples, and he breathes on them. The only thing that I could find in the Bible where God breathed on man is in Genesis 2. And I could just imagine as these Hebrew men who grew up in the synagogue knowing the story of creation, knowing that God formed man, breathed into his nostrils, and it said that life came into him. That as Jesus, who is God, is breathing on them, it triggers the memory to go, this signifies something. See, after man was, had life breathed into him in Genesis, what happened? Man fell. There was a great chasm between God and man, right? And then Jesus had come, died on the cross, broke that chasm, filled it in, and re reunited God and man, rose from the dead, and then he prophesies and sends them a sign by breathing on them so that they can understand that life's been restored. And he says, peace to you. He screams it, actually. Peace to you, receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't have it, Jesus wants you to have the, the, the peace of God. The trauma you maybe have experienced, he wants to have. The peace of God is tangible. It's something you can come, receive, and retain. And it's something you need to steward as well. Sometimes my wife tells me I need to listen to my own message. Because it's a powerful thing to keep your peace, but you don't want the enemy or the pressures of this world to take it away. I would like to pray for you. If you guys could stand, I could pray for you corporately. And, and if you could just hold out your hands like you're going to receive a gift, I'd just like to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your peace, Father, that it's tangible, that it's available. I thank you that it's powerful that it will either bring us through or overcome our conflict. Father, I bless them right now. I bless every person in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would release your peace over them right now. Just as Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Holy Spirit, may you just rest the, the, the presence of your peace upon their life, God. May it be in it for them. May it be upon them for others, God. Father, we just ask that that you would just empower them, Lord, through your peace and that your power would flow through that peace, God.
We command all chaos to leave. We ban confusion. I come against any torment of the enemy, any anxiety, fear, stress, worry, doubt. I break that in the name of Jesus, and I speak the peace of God over their hearts and minds right now, God. And I prophesy, just as Jesus did in John 20, 21, peace to you, receive the Holy Spirit. May the wind of the Spirit of God come and wipe away every anxiety, every trauma. God, I ask right now that you would heal any, if there is people who struggle with trauma, that you wouldn't brainwash them, God, but that you would heal the trauma that is associated with the memory right now. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.